You can go ahead and be seated if you would. And I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 19. I've got to set something up here. But if you will turn your Bibles to John chapter 19, while I grab this, we'll be ready to go. When we think of the cross today, we tend to think of a symbol of God's mercy and of his grace. And we remember how Jesus came and he died on a cross for us. He gave up his life for us to pay for our sins, right? So that, so that his purity, his righteousness could be applied to our account with God so that we could be made right with God. And so when God looks at us, he sees us not for what we were, but for what we are in Christ. He sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ, as if he's putting on Jesus glasses and looking at us and saying, I know you're this way right now, but the way I see you is as if Jesus' blood has already washed over you and your sins are gone. And we know this, most of us here, we know this. I mean, maybe some of you are new and this is new to you, but my guess is that almost everyone here, everyone watch online probably knows something of this story and, and probably has, has understood it fairly well. Uh, But the interesting thing is I wonder how often we don't live like it on a daily basis. So often the message of the gospel and the message of the cross of Jesus is something that we believed that one time and we think about it every year, Good Friday, Easter. But on a day-to-day basis, do we really understand the implication that the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus has for us in how we live and how we view God and our relationship with him today? Or do we go around holding on to baggage that we should have let go of a long time ago? The power of sin has been broken over us and yet we still live like it hasn't so often. Guilt and shame has been completely paid for by Jesus and yet we don't always realize that in our lives today. So what I wanna do today is take a look at the the finality of Jesus' payment on the cross, the completion of it. One of the songs we sang earlier talked about our debt being paid in full. See, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he didn't just put down a deposit on our salvation. He paid for all of it. He didn't put it on a credit card to be paid off later. He paid it completely and in full. He finished what he started. It is a total and complete payment for sin. And so if if you're in John chapter 19, we're gonna gonna study that chapter today or a, a certain portion of it and look at what Jesus did for us on the cross. But before we do that, let me talk about this idea of finishing what we start. Because the reality is, this is an area that I struggle with in my personal life. And I wonder how many of you would relate to this. I will often start a project, get really, really excited about it, pour into it with all I have, buy the tools and the resources necessary to do it, and then before long, just get tired of it. Anybody, anybody do that in your life? Like, I will start something, and I'm really excited about it for a couple months, and then all of a sudden, eh, something else has my attention. And I move on. And please don't elbow the person next to you because I know some of you are looking at each other like, yeah, that's you. You're the one that does that. See, after a while, there's this, there's this excitement that I have that kind of wears off. And then I want to try something new. What I was doing before, now it's boring to me. And there's something fresh and different that captures my attention. And I move on to that instead. It's not exactly a, a great trait, It's not exactly a helpful thing. Uh, Maybe sometimes it is if what I've decided to do isn't worthwhile. But I want to give you a couple examples of this so that you can get an idea for what I'm talking about. Does anyone know what this is? What is this? It's a drywall knife, a taping knife. You use this to put up drywall. About a year and a half ago, 
One of my dogs chewed through a water line in our house. It was one of those metal braided water lines. So he was very, in, very intent on getting through that water line. And it flooded our main level and dripped down to our basement through the drywall ceiling, which meant that the drywall got ruined on the ceiling and there was a big gaping hole in our ceiling that looked kind of like this. There you go. That's like half of it. So we had this big opening up there and I've done a lot of drywall before. I knew I needed a few more tools, always need a few more tools to uh, be able to take care of it. And I wasn't about to pay somebody to come in and do what I can do. So I got the stuff I needed, including this, and I started working to try to put it together. And, and now, a year and a half later, I'm proud to report that it's about 90% done. This is what it looks like today. You can see the hole is patched. There's a couple layers of mud on there, but there's still more work to do. Why isn't that finished yet? That's what my wife is wanting to know. I've got the stuff. I have everything I need. It's just boring to me now. It was fun the first couple of weeks. You know, I'd go down after work every now and then and put another coat on there. And now it's just like, eh, I've got other things I want to spend my time on. I should probably finish that project now that I've admitted this publicly. Does anyone know what this is? That is a sous vide device. That's right. It's an immersion circulator. It's for cooking food sous vide. I don't know if there's anybody in this service, but in the earlier service, I pointed out that there are several people in our church who have bought one of these because of me. And I haven't used this thing in months. It's really cool. I've cooked steak with it. I've cooked fish. I've cooked chicken. Um, I've cooked creme brulee multiple times with that thing. My favorite discovery was that you could take a cheapo chuck roast and put it in there for 36 hours and it comes out like prime rib. It's amazing. It's so good. Am I right? Kevin knows. He's, he's done it too. It is so, so good. But I haven't touched it in quite a while. It just sort of sits there. And my wife now uses it more than I do. I've got one more for you. And don't freak out, okay? This cannot hurt anybody. This is not going to actually, it's not dangerous at all. Uh, I, when I ordered this, it took months to arrive because it got held up at Chinese customs because they thought that it was something that it isn't, okay? So it's not at all dangerous. Okay. This looks like a handgun with a giant suppressor on it. That is not what it is. It is a meat torch. This is what you hook up to a propane tank when you want to sear your meat in a really cool masculine way. And I will tell you, it was worth every penny. It is so cool. You have no idea how much restraint it took for me to not bring the propane tank with this and shoot off a flame right here. It is so awesome. I did find that it's a little overkill for broiling the creme brulee, brulee the creme brulee. It's just, you know, huge, huge flame coming out of this thing. It really heats up the dishes. You want a different one for that. Really cool device. Haven't used it in months. It's been a long time since I've touched this. Why? Because I have a history of getting all excited about stuff and then not finishing what I started. Can anybody relate to that? Like, yeah, I dive in and then I don't finish. There's all these projects around the house that I really need to get to and I really need to get back to my kitchen gadgets and I really need to complete some of the things that I've started. And the truth is, if any of you are like that out there, I want you to just to know that you are in good company because some of the greatest artists and thinkers in the world have struggled with this problem. Leonardo da Vinci was a famous one. He left all kinds of stuff incomplete in his life. Michelangelo was one of them as well, who left all kinds of things incomplete in his life. 
He'd get, he'd get distracted at times. You may think of Michelangelo, you think of the great works that he did, the Sistine Chapel with the painting with God and, and Adam and all the other amazing vignettes that he did. Or you might think of the, what is the Pieta sculpture um, that he produced, which is just incredible and intricate, or the, the Statue of David, of course, which is absolutely amazing. But did you know that Michelangelo left far more works incomplete than he actually completed in his lifetime? He left an incredible amount of stuff incomplete. Sometimes he got bored and he moved on to something else. Other times an employer took him away from a project and moved into a different project and he never was able to go back. One of his most famous unfinished works is the Entombment of Jesus, which shows a partially painted Jesus. And what you can't even see in this image here is that there are other characters off to the side that are sort of outlined in, but not at all painted in yet. It's just an unfinished work of Michelangelo. In fact, Michelangelo and Leonardo uh, for the, were so well-known for not finishing so many pieces that eventually it became cool. And other artists that followed them started intentionally beginning projects and not finishing them to follow in the style of Leonardo and Michelangelo and not actually complete their works. So if you're like me, I just want you to know you're in good company. If you struggle to finish things, you're in good company, okay? You don't, you don't struggle to finish things. You're just artsy. All right, it's a, it's a good, positive thing. I know that excuse isn't gonna fly with all of your spouses, but we can dream. The truth is, when we begin something that's important and when I do begin something that's important, I have to really discipline myself to carry it through to completion. It's easy to get sidetracked and distracted along the way. So why am I telling you about all this? Why does any of this matter? Well, there's this word in the ancient Greek that I want you to know about, and you've probably heard it before. It's a business word. It refers to a contract or a debt that's been completed or paid off. And so this is the type of word that if you hired someone to do a certain job and there was a contract that stated what they needed to do when they were done, you would stamp this on the bottom. Or if there was a debt, maybe a big loan or something that needed to be paid off, when it was paid off, you would stamp this at the bottom. Maybe some of you have experienced that feeling where you have this loan and you've been paying it off for a long, long time and you're just trying to get rid of it and you keep making payments, but it seems like it just stays there because the interest, you know, continues to compound. And then finally, one day in the mail, you get a letter that says something like, dear Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, it is our privilege to inform you that your loan has been paid in full. Have you ever had that experience before? Do you know the relief that comes when that debt is finally off your chest and you don't have to worry about that anymore? There is a word in the Greek that gave people that kind of feeling like, oh, it's done. It's, it's completed. Finally, this work is done. This debt is paid. The word in the Greek is to telestai, which means it is finished. This is the word that you would use when you finally completed a big project, when you finally paid off a big loan, when something was brought to completion and it was done, it was a huge accomplishment, and you'd stamp on that document to telestai. It is finished. And as I'm sure you have figured out by now, this is what Jesus said on the cross right before he died. He had seven statements that he made. This is the sixth one that he made, that it is finished. I want to look at this in a little more detail. So if you've got John 19 open, you can go ahead and pull that out. Let me give you a little context for where we're at in the passage. Jesus has already been interrogated multiple times. He's been to the house of Annas and interrogated there. He's been to the house of Caiaphas. He's been interrogated there. He's been beaten multiple times, forced to carry his own cross uh, at Pilate's headquarters. 
beaten again, his clothes taken off of him, brought to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there he was nailed to a cross, which was lifted up for all to see. And on this cross, he makes a couple, he makes several statements, but two that we're going to look at right now, which are statements five and six of this series of statements that he made. He said other things too. He, he looked at John and he said, John, this is your mother now. Take care of her, pointing to Mary, his mother. Mary, I want you to be cared for by John. Now he looked at the thief on the cross next to him and he said, because of your belief today, you will be with me in paradise. He looked at the people who were crucifying him and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he said a, a couple more things that we'll see here in John chapter 19, starting in verse 28. He says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked it in a sponge and put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. To Telestai, it is done. The payment is complete. The contract is over with. What was promised is now fulfilled. Though it took great pain and anguish and suffering to get to this point, it was finally finished. But what? What was Jesus talking about? What had he finished? Notice that he didn't say, I am finished, which is what a lot of people around were thinking. This is it. He's over. He's done with the religious rulers. We're thinking, finally, we got rid of him. Satan was thinking, aha, this guy was supposed to be the Messiah. I don't think so. He's over and done with. They're thinking he is finished. And Jesus is saying it is finished because Jesus had a lot more to do. Jesus wasn't finished at all, but it is finished. What is the it that is finished here? I want to tell you about three things, three things that were finished on the cross. And because I'm a pastor, I started them all with the same letter. You're welcome. It's a promise kept, they're all P words, a promise kept, a prophecy fulfilled, and a path completed. You'll remember that, right? A promise kept, a prophecy fulfilled, and a path completed. Let's talk about the promise kept, a promise kept. The promise that was kept was not a promise made to people, it was a promise made to Satan. You may remember that in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve lived, Satan crept in as a serpent and he tempted Eve, who tempted Adam, and both of them fell. Both of them rebelled against God. God came in and he had to judge them. He had to punish them because he's a fair, honest, and just God. And a fair, honest, and just God who says, if you disobey me, there will be a punishment, cannot then go back on that and still be a fair, honest, and just God. So he has to punish them. In the midst of punishing them and telling them what their punishment will be, he turns to the serpent, Satan, and he says something to them. He gives them a promise. He says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. What's he talking about there? Well, the, the, the offspring of Satan in mind here are the demons that fell after Satan, that followed after Satan. So Satan and the demons, his family, so to speak, will be in hostility with the woman and her offspring and the human race and their family. And then God says, he will strike your head so this is the woman's offspring will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, he will do a lot worse to you than you will do to him. You will be a nuisance to him. You will pester him. You will strike his heel, but he will strike your head. God was putting Satan on notice. He was letting him know 
that the people that Satan had just led astray would ultimately be used to bring about his downfall. See, Satan thought that he had achieved an incredible victory. Satan, no doubt in this moment is thinking, aha, these people that God created, that he loves, that, that were created in his own image, these special people that he made different from everything else, even the angels, these people, I got them to turn against him. What a coup. What an incredible victory for him. And God is saying, huh, you think it's a victory, but I'm gonna take what you meant for evil and I'm gonna turn around and use it for good. In fact, the very people that you turned against me will one day be your downfall. They will one day be the death of you. That promise was kept when Jesus died on the cross. It was finished on the cross. Colossians 2.15 says, in this way, he, Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. That's Satan as offspring. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That's when it happened. That's when Jesus got victory over them. And they no longer have the power that they thought they had. Their, their time is short. Even though Satan and the demons are allowed to continue operating in this world for a short while longer, their defeat is certain. It's already accomplished. The victory over them happened at the cross. What Jesus did on the cross disarmed them, Paul says. It shamed them. It brought victory over them. And so the promise was kept. It is finished. Second one is a prophecy fulfilled. There's a lot of prophecy about Jesus in the Old Testament, but I want to show you one that's my favorite. It's in Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah 53, there's this incredible, the whole chapter. Look, if you want to do something awesome for Good Friday, when you get home today, just go read Isaiah 53. It is a beautiful chapter about Jesus, and you'll be amazed at what is in there. I'm just going to pull out a few things here. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. This is where you start to figure out, he's talking about Jesus. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Isaiah here is prophesying that the Messiah would suffer and he would be rejected and he would ultimately bear the burden of the sins of all people. And both John and Peter would later point back to this chapter and say, this is talking about Jesus. The amazing thing is these words penned by Isaiah were written some 700 years before the death of Christ. And you might think, well, maybe it was written after Christ's death, but it was kind of faked so that it would look like it was prophesying about Jesus' death. Because if you read the whole chapter, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Jesus fits this to a T. But 70 years ago, in the caves in Qumran in Israel, there was a discovery made of uh, an almost complete version of the scroll of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, which includes all of this in it. And it dates back to about 200 years before the time of Christ. And so we have physical evidence of Isaiah's prophecies about Jesus from a couple hundred years before they happened. And it is uncanny. It is remarkable how well they apply to Jesus. And of course, 
the authors of the New Testament tell us that they do apply to Jesus. Isaiah says he was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. This prophecy was fulfilled on the cross. It is finished. All these prophecies about Jesus, so many of them were finished, were completed with Jesus' death on the cross. There's even a more important thing that was completed, more important for us anyway, which is a path completed. A path was completed. If we read on in chapter 53 of Isaiah, he says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. It was part of the plan. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. One thing we skipped over earlier is that Isaiah talks about how he will have no descendants and no one will care. He died without ever having kids and that would be considered a terrible thing. No one is there to pass on your name, pass on your lineage, but no one cared. And so physically Jesus had no physical, biological children that way. And yet here, what he's saying is when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. How is that possible? Because he will have spiritual children. He have people that will become a part of his family who are not a part of his family. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And this part is so, so cool. Don't miss this. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. On what we call Good Friday, just over 2,000 years ago, Jesus went through unspeakable anguish, beaten and bloodied and tortured and hung up on a cross. And none of that even compared to the weight of all the sins of the world be put on his shoulders. Think about the burden sometimes that we bear when we have sins that we have struggled with that we can't seem to get rid of. When we have sins in our past that still kind of hold on to us like baggage, they cling to us. We have the guilt, we have the shame from that. It can drive us to incredible discouragement and despair and depression just from what we've experienced in our lifetime. Some of us still hold on to those things and it's hard to let go of them. Now imagine that times all the people in the world put on one person. How agonizing that would be to have the sins of the world put on his shoulders. Physical pain, yeah, that was terrible. But the spiritual pain of having all of that on you must have been unbelievable. Certainly unbearable for any of us. And I know you probably know this story fairly well but I wonder if you knew about this little prophecy of Isaiah here, that when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. When he sees what's accomplished by his anguish, as terrible as it was, he will be satisfied. So what is it that was accomplished? Jesus because of all that he went through, because of what he experienced, Isaiah says, he he made himself a sacrifice for our sins. He made it possible for many to be counted as righteous, as if they never sinned. That's why Jesus came, so he could take that burden on himself, that, that penalty for sin on himself, so that he could take it off of us, so that many could be counted as righteous. This is the path to God that Jesus opened up for us. It wasn't possible without his sacrifice. Jesus completed the path, then he cried out at the end of it all, it is finished. And I have to believe that as he cried out, it is finished. 
that there was this incredible sense of relief. And as Isaiah says, satisfaction. I did it. It took a lot to get here. It was agonizing. It was anguishing. It was unbelievably painful, both physically and spiritually, but it is finished. And look what it has accomplished. To tell us die, it is finished. The promise was kept. The prophecies were fulfilled. The path was completed. Now, if you've trusted in Jesus as your savior, you've trusted in him, believed in him to make you right with God. This reality should change the way you live today. It is finished. Jesus paid for your sin. He made it possible for the power of sinful thinking to be broken in your life. And yet we so often act like it's still there hanging on us. Like we still got the chains of sin wrapped around us. We're going, I can't take them off. I can't take them off. And God is saying, I broke those chains. You're holding on to them. You need to let it go. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes it really helps to have other people in the body of Christ come around us and say, I'm going to help you take those off. Let's do this together. But the reality is we are not in bondage to the power of sin anymore. Jesus took care of that. It is finished. Some of us still hold on to a lot of guilt and shame because of stuff we've done wrong in the past. And it just sticks around us. And Satan likes to bring it up every now and then and say, remember when you did this? Remember when you didn't do this? Remember all this stuff that you did? And he just keeps throwing those fiery darts at us. And Jesus would say, to tell us die, it is finished. I dealt with all of that. Anything you did wrong, even if it was sin, if you have confessed that, it's forgiven. It is finished. It is done. You don't need to hold on to that baggage any longer. It should change the way we live. It should change the way we think about God. We have hope and eternity for the future. We have this secure future with God in heaven. And so we don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear our relationship with God. We don't need to view him as the man in the sky who's constantly got us under his thumb is trying to make sure we don't do this stuff and make sure we do all this ritual stuff. And that is not the kind of God that we have. We have a God who is willing to send his son to come experience incredible anguish and die on our behalf so that we can have a relationship with him. How incredible is that? That's the kind of God we serve. Not the kind of God that's just watching, waiting for you to screw up so he can whack you. He's a God that loves you so much that he was with. Jesus, if he had just come, and if the solution was, you know what? I'm just gonna do a, do a quick painless death, okay? We're gonna just kind of do something that's not gonna hurt very much. That wouldn't have really told us much. But look what Jesus went through so that God could say, I did this for you. This is how much I love you. This is what I was willing to go through and experience. It's not just a casual thing. The relationship we have with God is incredible because of what Jesus did on the cross. We need to remember that every single day. Now, maybe some of you here or watched online right now have never placed your trust in Jesus, have never become a follower of his really. You've been kind of a casual observer on the side. You may go to church occasionally. You do some good things. Maybe you're hoping the good things will outweigh the bad. And here's what I want to say to you. Jesus offers salvation as a free gift. And if you have to pay anything for it, it's not a gift anymore. It's not something you can earn. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. 
See, Christ made the path. Jesus made the path. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gives us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, that's Jesus, who never sinned. Remember Isaiah said, we thought it was his sins, but it was our sins that he took on. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God. You see, Jesus made the payment for you. It is finished. You don't have to add anything to it. It is a free gift from God. In fact, as soon as you try to add something to it, you're not really accepting the gift. If you insist on paying something for it, then you didn't really believe it was a gift. You didn't believe God when he said, there's nothing you need to do. I just want you to accept the gift. Trust in Jesus. Believe in him. And you don't have to do anything good to outweigh your bad. You know, it's interesting. Every time I study other uh, faiths and religions, it seems like every other faith, religion, spiritual system in the world has some element of earning your way. There is some aspect of, okay, there's some bad stuff in your life. You've got to outdo the bad stuff with the good stuff. You got to do enough good things to outweigh the bad things. And if you do enough of that, then you'll reach whatever it is you're trying to go for. Heaven, nirvana, pick your system. It seems to me that following Jesus is the only one that I'm aware of, which says there is nothing you can do to earn this. There is no element of I contribute this much and Jesus contributes this much and together it gets me to heaven. That's not how it works. Because anything you try to add to what Jesus did on the cross just cheapens what he did on the cross and says that wasn't enough. And that Jesus said it is finished. Payment made in full. Everything taken care of. Nothing else you need to add to it. Should it change the way you live now? Yes. Should you live better because of it? Absolutely. And Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit to help make that happen. There's nothing in addition that you need to provide. That is a message of incredible relief and grace to those who have trusted him. And it's a message of incredible hope and promise to those who haven't yet. I'm gonna ask you all if you you wouldn't mind to just close your eyes for a minute, just so you can focus entirely on Jesus right now. Just close your eyes and think for a moment for those of you that may have never trusted in Jesus Christ. I wanna invite you to do that right now. Doesn't matter if you're in the room, doesn't matter if you're online watching from home, wherever you are right now. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you have heard today the message of what he did for you. And you know that he died to pay for your sin. And you know you're a sinful person. You know you've got those thoughts in you that even at times when you don't do things that are bad, you're dwelling on thoughts that are bad. You know that you're not living the way God wants you to live. And now what you've heard is that Jesus Christ died, not so that you could do enough good to earn your way into God's favor, but so that he could take care of it completely. It is finished. And that's what he wants for you. And so if that's you today and you are ready to trust in Jesus, let me tell you how you can do that. Right now with all of our eyes closed, you can pray to him in your heart. He can hear you. And you can say something like this, God, I know that I am a sinful person. I know that I have not been living the way you want me to, but I know that Jesus died to pay for that sin. And I know there's nothing good that I can do to take it away. It is only by believing in you that you will wipe 
that clean. So Jesus, I pray that you will save me. I pray and ask forgiveness for my sins. I wanna turn my life over to you. I wanna turn from my old way of doing things and live life your way because I believe you died for me to give me a new life. And let me tell you, if you say something like that to God today and you mean that in your heart, then he says that he will make you one of his children. You'll become one of those descendants, those many descendants of Jesus. You'll become part of his family and you will have new life through Jesus Christ, the path to God, it is finished. It is offered as a gift for you. Will you accept it today? I hope you will. Heavenly Father, thank you for making a way for us. Thank you for going to such incredible lengths to show us how much you love us. You certainly did not make it easy on yourself but it's what you went through and it's the hundreds of witnesses that speak to it and the more attestation in history and archaeology than for almost any other event in human history. And yet so many still do not believe. Lord, I pray that you would open some eyes tonight. I pray that for those of us who've already believed in you, we would experience the cross in a bit of a fresh way tonight, a bit of a reminder of what you have done for us and how it should impact our daily living. Not just that thing that we accepted one time, but that continual process of understanding what you went through for us. And now, Lord, as we take communion together, we practice the Lord's Supper. This is what you gave us as the reminder for us to make sure we never forget your sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, for all you have done. And in your name we pray. Amen.